0: our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be able to gather together like this in a place of peace and quiet and a place of uh, sanctification set apart for you to listen to your word and your spirit. Father, we are grateful. Help us never be familiar with this privilege that we have of doing this father we also are most grateful and thankful for your precious son Jesus Christ who made all this possible we thank you for the cross we thank you for willingly giving him up for us so that we could have eternal life even though we don't deserve it we thank you for his willingness to step into our place of judgment. Father, we just ask Your help to never be familiar with Him most of all and what You've done. It is truly an amazing, even shocking thing that You would do this for Your creatures who have sinned against You. Father, we thank You for the truth that's before us today in Your Word. We ask that You guide us by Your Holy Spirit Help us understand supernatural things that only your Spirit can reveal to us. We ask all these things in the name of our precious Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay. Eternal assurance. Let not your hearts be troubled. First, I just want to thank Pastor Collins for the privilege of stepping in here today, uh, filling in uh, when when I have the chance to do so and to give him a break also, um, keep him in, in prayer spiritually as well so he's restored and replenished because it is a, a tiring job that a shepherd has, as many of you know. I want to first review something from last week, something the Spirit showed our pastor in Philippians 4, verse 8. And this really reminds us that it really is all about Jesus. Um, It's not always that way in our own lives experientially, even though it should be, practically. But it really is all about Him, and when we make it all about Him, we're the ones that are set free. We're the ones that are replenished. So on the board, do you see Jesus in this verse, Philippians 4, 8? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Does that not describe Jesus to a T? We might rightly say he's the only one this describes to a T along with the Father and the Spirit, of course, but he's the only person we know even became a man. He's the only one that fulfilled this verse perfectly, always. And because he became human like us, we've seen him, John says. We've seen him. At least members of the human race have, and we personally haven't, but he lived it out, in other words, He lived out an example of this kind of life on the board, what it looks like. He's shown us and revealed to us in a person what God is like. And I'm grateful for that. I don't know about you. I'm grateful that I can envision Jesus, the man, the person, the things he said, the things he did in the Gospels. I'm really grateful I can envision that as a visual aid even of what God is like because he was the perfect, exact illustration of God in the flesh. So on that note, before we go on, turn in your Bibles to John 1, 17. John 1, 17. I just love this, because no one, you know, has seen God, but we've seen Christ at least through the scriptures, his actions, his love, his example. And he the Bible says here that he has made God known to us. Don't take that like anything less than what that that statement is. He's fully made made God real to us, if you will, shown us what he is like in a person. Look at John 1, 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Talking about Jesus. He has made him known. So we have Philippians 4.8 on the board, which is really a treasure chest description of our Lord the only perfect person to ever live. And a continued point the Spirit has been making to us is to focus on Him, and then we'll be satisfied. It's the only way we'll be satisfied. Have peace, in other words, right? Focus on Him, and you'll be satisfied. That's been a recurring theme and that's why when you look at the verse on the board, if you think about Jesus, when you look at these characteristics, you, have, you immediately draw some sense of peace. So turn also with me to Colossians 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, verse 1. Again, this is just our introduction to this mini-series on eternal assurance. And God kind of put these in- things in there. He inserted these things more than I thought He would as an introduction. But we've been hearing from the Spirit over and over, focus on Him and you'll be satisfied. Focus on Him and you'll have peace. And look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, and you have, by the way, if you're a believer, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We just saw that in John. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There we see the solution to our misery of focusing on self. Focusing on our perfect Lord and Savior sets us free from the bondage and gives us joy and peace. And it's really that simple. Where are your minds on a daily basis? Who are you focusing on, self or Christ? Where your destiny lies, seated at the right hand of God. And the last verse there, verse 4, if you look at it, that is a little teaser for this series as well. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Take that with you as a little teaser to this series on eternal assurance. I recently read a quote from a, a Bible scholar named D.L. Moody. You may have heard of him. And a thought similar to Philippians 4.8 was expressed by him. So I wanted to share this with you. Specifically, it's about what heaven will be like. So, again, look at the verse on the board, Philippians 4, 8, and you think about Jesus. And now I want you to see what D.L. Moody said about heaven basically being all about Jesus. On the board, the light of heaven is the face of Jesus. We can take that literally, by the way, if you remember what Revelation says about his face shining like the sun. The light of heaven is the face of Jesus. The joy of heaven is the presence of Jesus. The melody of heaven is the name of Jesus. The harmony of heaven is the praise of Jesus. The theme of heaven is the work of Jesus. We're not, in other words, we're not going to talk about anything else, are we? We're going to talk about what he did for us once and for all on that cross, and we're just going to be praising him the theme of heaven is the work of Jesus the employment of heaven is the service of Jesus the duration of heaven is the eternity of Jesus and the fullness of heaven is Jesus himself we're just going to be so overwhelmed with his person and his victory and his love we're going to be so overwhelmed we're not going to be thinking about anything else but him And if we can take that here to earth with us and live in these promises, then we experience a little bit of heaven on earth, despite being in the devil's world or the devil's age. So life itself really is all about Jesus, and that's why life is good, as we've been learning. He's the only one that's made life good for believers. For unbelievers, life is not good. They may or may not know it. But for believers, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, life is good because He made it good and because He gave us new life. That's why we can confidently say life is good. As we know, He's purchased for us a new life, an eternal life in union with Him. So the Lord truly is our confidence if we understand this. So we'll see if the Spirit ends this series. On eternal assurance with a similar theme. Uh, We'll see how much we get through in the next couple of lessons. As a continued introduction to this series, I've also been led to share some things about the love of God. And uh, when God kind of put this on my heart to go into certain things here, I was actually wondering why. Um, I found out why, including uh, through yesterday's blog, as the Spirit is always working these things together and preparing preparing things on all different sides and having them come together at the perfect time. So please take this from the Spirit. If God is love and Jesus is God, we know both of those are true, right? The Bible says God is love. The Bible says Jesus is God. If those are both true, then Jesus is love, correct? If God is love, Jesus is love. So love became manifest to us in a person the Son of God. Love became manifest to us. We just read that in John 1, 18. So we're going to talk about love manifest. God's love came alive to us as the God-man reached across the chasm between us to do something about our problems of sin and death. As we know, the Bible says love actually acts. It does something for the benefit of others. So again, love manifests. God's love came alive to us as the God man reached across the chasm between us to do something about our problem, our problems of sin and death. So, in other words, love is what made eternal life possible for us. And also, love gives us eternal assurance makes assurance a reality for us as well. Without God's love acting on our behalf, we simply wouldn't be here. We'd all be in the lake of fire. If God's love didn't decide to do something, extreme even, to solve our problems of sin and death once for all, we'd all still be in those problems and we'd be in the lake of fire. So God's love really truly became manifest in a person and in that person's actions. And so the Spirit had me dwelling on this and upon our church family as well. We're talking about love being manifest, right? On the board, if God's love reached across the chasm to cover our sins and transgressions, shouldn't we do the same for one another? If God's done that, something that great and that grand for us, Shouldn't we do the much lesser for one another? Or are we ungrateful? Are we that selfish where we can't overlook someone's transgressions? And we're going to see this in 1 Peter 4, eight right now. You can turn there. 1 Peter four 8. We're talking about love being manifest to us. It was, it was the person of Jesus Christ. And if God did that for us, all the way to the cross for us, shouldn't we do the same for one another? The answer is obvious, including with what our dear Deacon Johnson laid out his heart for us this morning about you know, finances and church responsibility. And that's another way. Shouldn't we lay down our lives for one another if Christ did what he did for us? It's not even a reasonable question. But unfortunately, we need these questions to think about it. Again, on the board, if God's love reached across the chasm to cover our sins and transgressions, shouldn't we do the same for one another? Look at 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, don't you love that? I don't know about you, but I love that love covers a multitude of my sins. Do you love it that it covers other sins too? If God loved you in such a way as to cover your shame and guilt forever, should we not be eager to cross the chasm between ourselves and others in our lives with the same forgiving love that we've been shown? Shouldn't we be eager to do that, like Peter writes here? See, Peter knew something, (laughs) he knew the Lord and he knew forgiveness because the Lord did this for him, even though he denied him three times, right? Don't forget who wrote this, the one who denied the Lord three times, and the Lord forgave him immediately and then even used him as the leader of the apostles. Again, look at 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Do you realize how many problems love solves? How many problems love can dissipate away in our lives? If we choose to live in it like he lived in it for us. So forgiveness also came up in this week's blog called Fight or Flight. Hopefully you've read it. But again, the Spirit is bringing these two ideas together perfectly. And I was speaking to a member of our church, uh, our church family, last week. And what we're talking about is resentment, which manifests itself in holding on to things in our hearts, which is one of the worst things we can do to ourselves, holding on to grudges and basically a lack of forgiveness towards someone that we think wronged us or slighted us. And that's what we're talking about, this resentment thing. And that's why the Spirit, one reason the Spirit put this into my notes, and then the blog came out to confirm it. We do horrible things to ourselves when we live in resentment. And these are people that may have truly done something against us, legitimately. But we have no right to hold on to these things. Would you prefer Jesus hold on to his grudges against your sins? Of course not. How do we have a right to hold on to these things? What does God's love say about that? What did God's love do about that? Love covers a multitude of transgressions. What a beautiful word. Think about that mental attitude for a minute. If that's how love operates, that's what love does. Love covers a multitude of transgressions. It's like if someone got sick and threw up on the floor. I'm sorry, it's not a great analogy either, but but if someone did that, instead of holding it against them or telling everyone else to look, you kindly go up to them with a towel and you cover their mess. Right? That's kindness. That's fruit of the Spirit, by the way. That's what love is, as we're going to see in a minute. And it's, you know, Not a great example, but you know what I mean? Like, what's your first instinct? What does love do? Love's first instinct is to cover. That's the love of Christ. To especially cover for one another's guilt and failures. Are we eager to do that? Or do we like to just hold grudges? So that we can have some kind of self-righteousness to stand on or whatever. Get attention maybe. There's all kinds of reasons we operate wrongly. We have all kinds of bad motivations at times. But the first instinct of love, if you have the love of Christ and if you choose to live in it, is to cover transgressions, to overlook them. You know, sometimes you can people can say that you're um, maybe not living in reality. Um, how could you treat someone that way? I'm talking about kindness now and they think that maybe you don't understand what someone did against you when maybe you're just choosing to overlook it, which could involve ignoring it completely. That's what love is willing to do. So how can we not do this? Peter, the one whom the Lord uh, covered and forgave after he denied the Lord three times, this same Peter said this, to keep loving one another earnestly. And love covers a multitude of sins. God covered our sins. Make it personal because it is, right? If all your sins were on the board today, all of them, how humiliated would you be? How shameful would you be? How guilty would you be? And God covered all of that eternally. And so how do we not forgive someone when they make us stub our toe or something? So on the board, we're talking again about love manifest. We're talking about resentment and either living in it or casting it behind our back and reaching out and purposefully loving the one who offended us. What would Christ do? Cast Satan's lies behind your back. His lies that tempt you to stay bitter and resentful. And cast that desire to stay in your flesh, to stay in self-pity. Cast that behind you. And reach out and cross the chasm for your brother or sister. Is that such a big ask after what he did for us? Reach out and overlook and cover their transgression, choosing to love them anyway, just like Christ did for you. Amen? It's really simple. And it's only arrogance, really, that gets in the way. It's our arrogance and pride that gets in the way of doing this. When we have, not, we have no reason to have arrogance or pride. Look at us. Look at your sins on that board. We have no reason to hold things against people as though we don't mind when people hold things against us. So this comes up related to this series on eternal assurance because it's this love of God that has saved us and that keeps us saved. The love of God is responsible for our salvation. Without it, we would not be saved and we would not be eternally secure in him. His love is what gives us eternal assurances, as we'll see in some scriptures. That's the reason for our assurance. That's the reason we can, we can stand up and be confident that he's with us and for us and, and we have eternal life and that life is therefore good. It's the faithfulness and stability of God's perfect love that keeps us saved. And that's how this relates, this whole discussion about love manifest. But the Spirit apparently wanted us to think about this because maybe we are too resentful as a group. So let's do a brief survey in Holy Scripture of love covering transgressions. All right, first of all, on the board, regarding love manifests, love covers a multitude of transgressions. We know this from several scriptures, so let's turn to Proverbs 10, verse 12. Proverbs 10, 12. If you don't have to hear me sniffling. Old message. Love covers a multitude of transgressions. Proverbs, ten verse twelve. Hatred, stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses, not some. Love covers all offenses. Look at Proverbs twelve sixteen. Proverbs twelve sixteen. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Something to think about. Sometimes we take things personal. You know, someone might insult us directly or indirectly, and we hold on to it, and we try to do tit-for-tat maybe, where the Bible says the prudent ignores an insult. Sounds like overlooking a transgression. Proverbs 17.9. This, of course, is one of the wisdom books. Here's wisdom about love manifest, really. Proverbs 17.9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. We've all been there, unfortunately. But whoever covers an offense seeks love. And then since we're in Proverbs 17, look at verse 17. I thought of this wonderful verse. I didn't want to pass over it. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Not for good times, for adversity. We might say to our friend, again, look at the point on the board. Um, Love covers a multitude of transgressions. We might say to our friend, hey, cover for me. I'm weak at times, you know I'm weak at times. I know I offend you at times, and I screw up, but can you please cover for me? You ever said that to somebody in so many words? Of course we all have. In other words, don't expose me when I fail, please. And I'll try to cover you too, because we know we do it. Protect me when I'm weak. That's what love does. Sounds like David's conversations with the Lord in the book of Psalms, if you think about it. So keep this point on the board in mind and turn to First Corinthians thirteen four. First Corinthians thirteen four. So we're going to look at a couple different passages here about love and compare them 1 Corinthians 13 4 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way and notice this it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Just think about that last phrase, love never ends. That's another reason we have eternal assurance if we're in Christ Jesus. God's love holds it all together for us. And look at verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. So now take that with you, what you see especially in verses 4 through 8, about the characteristics of love. And look on the board at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We've seen this comparison in the past, if you remember. Notice how love encompasses or envelops the other parts of the fruit of the Spirit. And the immediate example we see, the immediate way we know this, is because of patience and kindness. Is patience and kindness not in both passages? In in our other passage, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's one of the descriptions of love, right? Love is patient, love is kind. And here we see it's fruit of the Spirit, but it's underneath love. So go back to the sphere of love, right? All this goodness is in the sphere of love. So the Spirit's point has been on the board that we need to abide in the sphere of God, my friends which is the sphere of love. The same sphere of God's love that saved us and keeps us saved. Faithfulness, right? You just read that too? Keeps us saved. His love is always faithful. And because of that, He keeps us saved. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't uh, be resentful when we say I'm sorry for the hundredth time for the same thing. He's not that way. He's like, I know what you're made of. That's why I sent the Lord to die for you. So that once for all, we don't have to worry about that stuff again. Isn't that nice? He can overlook our transgressions. His love motivated all that. So the Spirit's telling us to stay right here in this sphere of God, this sphere of love. Stay there. Over and over, he's telling us. Abide there. Live your life there each and every day. Think about all he's done for you and think about the little bit he's asking of you to do for your brother. And when you watch how much more peace you have when you stay in this place, this sphere of love, and you watch how much less Satan takes advantage of you and your family and causes dissension, and even dissension in your own heart, you watch how much less resentment you have because you've surrendered to god's love to live in the power of his love again the first thing love does his love is covers that's a first instinct to cover transgressions of course christ actually paid for our sins don't misunderstand me christ made the final payment for our sins on the cross But we're using the word covers because of what Peter told us. Fervently love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So you watch resentment and bitterness melt away if you live in this love that God has loved you with, if you choose to abide in that sphere. So that, to bring it full circle, that's why life is good. That's why we really shouldn't have a care in the world. If we're abiding in his fear, we transcend those circumstances. So we're going to see more of what Jesus himself said to us, as also came out uh, last Sunday, by the way. Again, the Spirit working all things together. So we're going to go forward with this series on eternal assurance. And last Sunday, one of the things the Spirit mentioned was about the Resurrection and how the resurrection is an historical fact that we can rely upon. Well, that's coming up in this lesson as well. And another principle that came up in our recent series on life is good. Since God is good and God is eternal life, then the life that God has is good. This is the same life we're given at salvation. It's called eternal life and wow, it's good. If it really is eternal life, everybody, like perfect, godly, when you're in heaven, you're not going to be a sinner anymore. There's nothing in between us or God. If it's the life of God himself that's given to us, which it is, there's nothing better. And this is how we're able to overlook transgressions against others or against us. This is how we can go forward loving someone who has slighted us the power of love comes from living in the truth on the board we might call it living in eternal life this is how we can transcend the circumstances of life both good and bad ones on the board life is good eternal life is so far beyond and so far better than the transactions we look to in this life It's not worthy of comparison. Even the good transactions. Are the good things in your life that you have or possess or or God graciously grants you, are those the things you're relying on for happiness? Well, if so, you're relying on transactions to please you or to sustain you. God says, no, 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 my life is so far above that. Look to that. Transcend your circumstances, the good ones and the bad ones this is all temporary again on the board eternal life is so far beyond and so far better than the transactions we look to in this life it is not worthy of comparison so let's transcend our circumstances let's live in this love that is totally supernatural it's worthwhile to overlook these transactions that we wrongly rely on for happiness just as we overlook transgressions against us uh, all to God's glory. The Spirit also told us last week that eternal life is a fact, according to what Jesus said in John 6.40. We're not going to turn there, but that's also coming up later in the series. Also provided by God before our dear pastor brought this up last Sunday. So I'd love to watch the Spirit do his prep work. I hope you appreciate it like how gracious God has been with us. He's been very direct with us, but also very gracious with us and very uh, intimate with us, really, to bring things together at the proper time so wonderfully. So I hope we don't get familiar with His goodness to us here at North Christian Church. Instead, let's live an eternal life now. Now. In this life, let's live in eternal life. Let's choose to be grateful and abide in the sphere of God's love. That might be a good summary statement of how do I live in eternal life now? Choose to be grateful and abide in the sphere of God's love. The simpler the better. Another key statement I'm pressed to share with you from last Sunday is on the board. Pastor Collins said some people know facts about God without being moved or motivated by them. Some people know facts about God without being moved or motivated by them. This might be, you know, at at its uh, base level, unbelievers and believers, right? Unbelievers, even in churches today, know facts about God, but they refuse to surrender or submit, to be moved and motivated by them, to make them truth for themselves. They refuse. But even as believers, we do this at times, right? We choose not to be motivated and moved by what we hear from the Word of God. And that's just to our own detriment, including love being manifested in our lives, It's to our own detriment. So let's choose to be moved by the truths we learn, and that takes humility and submission. One final verse here before we jump into eternal assurance. uh, Turn to Ephesians 3.19. Ephesians 3.19. So in other words, are you moved by the love of Christ? Are you motivated because of the love of Christ and his actions on your behalf? Or do you just take it as some facts and go live your own life? We should surrender our hearts in this way. Look at Ephesians 3.19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants us to be filled up with this love experientially. He wants us to live like Philippians 4.8, which we said was really Jesus to a T, right? He wants us to live like that. We can't do it perfectly, but he wants us to be filled up like that and to know the love of Christ that goes way beyond knowledge. Guess what? You need God's help for that. You can't figure that one out on your own. But what does that take? Submission, humility. Are you willing to be moved or motivated by what you hear from the Word of God? If you're willing, God can work with you, and God can give you a piece of this. I'm sorry, I keep pointing to the board. It's in your Bible, Ephesians 3.19. God can help you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Some I pray for every day in some way, shape, or form, because I don't got it yet but I want to see more and more of it he wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God and that's how we can live an eternal life so on the coattails of the Lord is our confidence the Spirit led me to this topic on the board of eternal assurance in particular let not your hearts be troubled honestly it was unexpected to me I was going to teach you something from the book of Jeremiah believe it or not as I find out, you know, probably a month before pastor's vacation, I start praying and thinking and studying. And that's, that was my intention. So God apparently, you know, pushed this on us as the appropriate topic. And the question is, speaking of confidence, what type of confidence do we have in the Lord's salvation? And I'm not talking about the right biblical answer. You know the right thing to say if you've been into the Word. I'm talking about what kind of confidence do we walk around with on a daily basis. And I'll be totally honest with you. My confidence was shaken at times over the last few years with some of the challenging lessons that we've had. It really was. I was forced to examine my faith, as is a wonderful divinely good exercise according to the word of god but i was forced to examine my faith to make sure i wasn't playing religion with god i wasn't relying on myself for my salvation right which the flesh would love to do it's a very healthy examination process but when you come out the other side of that when you go through that process and you come out the other side of that you become convinced by the spirit within you that you are saved that you are a believer in the lord jesus christ by the grace of god and then you can claim all the wonderful promises and evidences about assurance that we have in christ then that's yours you see it's yours there's a process of examination but when the spirit convicts you at which we're going to see in some of our examples in this series when the spirit convicts you and gives you certain qualities, uh, things about your soul that you can see, then that's reason for assurance. That in itself is reason for assurance that you're in Christ Jesus and that you have eternal security. So we're going to see evidences and fruits. First of all, the Spirit also used an under-the-radar source for me to get to this topic. I was browsing through the church website one day, uh, again, probably about a month ago, and you might consider doing that, by the way, when you just want to, you know, look up something good to learn something and see what the Spirit leads you to, because there's a lot on the website. But I was just browsing through one day, and I came across some of the prep school material, which, by the way, I never look at, I mean, you know, I don't have any kids, I'm not in prep school, why would I look at that, right? But the Spirit brought me there for some reason. And our faithful secretary, Monica, not only has an important job as secretary, but is also busy with other responsibilities in the church, one of which is running the prep school, which is not a small task. As she'll prepare lessons for the kids, but also write a monthly blog for the children, which is on the website, and it's called Kids Corner. So this is one of the things that God confirmed with me for you this subject on eternal assurance. I'm going to give you a quote from the Kids' Corner on religion on February 1st. So how do the religions of the world differ from Christianity? Worldly religions teach people that salvation must be earned and kept by their good works. That's pretty much every other religion in the world. These good works then are motivated by fear of losing that salvation. The power source of their works, or for their works, is self, giving glory to self. This all resulting in a life of insecurity as people strive to remain good enough. How awful. Truly awful that is. And she went on to write, as today's verse tells us, God promises Christians a life of peace as we trust in him for all things. Thank you, God, for your love and grace as you offer us eternal security through the saving work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We'll get to today's verse in a moment. But just dwell on this point, that God provided even eternal security through his love and grace and through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ through him. Our salvation and our security are all found when we trust in Christ and his work on the cross. We know that. It's through him. Through him as the channel, if you will. Only through his work are we granted all these grace gifts by faith. So in other words, our salvation and our security and our assurance is based fully upon his accomplishments and we receive such blessings by grace through faith that's the only way all the glory goes to God by grace through faith and all of this was motivated by God's amazing love if it depended upon us and our goodness and our faithfulness we'd all come up short as we know but on the board eternal assurance in Christ. Because salvation depends upon God and Christ and His love and faithfulness, we believers can have assurance because His work and His power are perfect. Just think of His love again that we started out with today. The only one with perfect love. Because salvation depends upon God and Christ and His love and faithfulness, we believers can have assurance because His work and His power are perfect. So assurance is something in the soul that we believers can hold on to and experience every single day. And we're not only talking about statements in the Bible about eternal security. There are many of those. But we're also talking about the ability to walk around with assurance in our souls. Like an active, dynamic assurance or peace in our souls. The assurance of possessing eternal life in Christ. That He has us and will never leave us or forsake us. So here was today's verse in the kids' corner. John 14, 27. Jesus said... Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We could go home right on that. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And obviously this is part of the title of our series, Let Not Your Hearts Be Troubled. Ask yourself this question. Why would Jesus himself tell us believers not to be afraid if we actually had something to be afraid of? Right? That would make no sense, coming from a perfect person. Why would Jesus himself tell us believers not to be afraid if we actually had something, even a little something, regarding eternal life to be afraid of? He would never do that. The man of grace and truth that he is. Remember Philippians 4 8. So, shouldn't we take Jesus at his word, embracing his words as 100% trustworthy? Of course. So, why do we let our hearts be troubled and why are we afraid if we're believers in him? Technically, we should never be afraid. I and mean, that's impossible because we're still in this flesh, but technically we should never be afraid. It's scriptures like this that should give us such peace and assurance that we believers are embraced by His perfect arms forever. Eternal life is finished, purchased, granted, and you are with Him in glory right now. So go to John 14, verse 1. I want you to see one other verse where Jesus uses this wonderful phrase of encouragement. John 14, 1. When I I saw John 14, 27 in the kids' corner, and this this motivated me, obviously, uh, to be the main theme of this series, but uh, it reminded me of this verse in verse 1 which is very similar. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Again, we believers really need to ask ourselves why we are insecure if we are. Jesus cannot lie. And I love that question. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Back to verse 27, would I tell you not to be afraid if there was a reason to be afraid? I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm grace and truth. So let not your hearts be troubled. That's what the Spirit's encouraging us with right now. So besides these two wonderful passages with this wonderful phrase in there, something to commit to memory, we're also going to use Romans 8 as a platform for this uh, series of lessons. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And as we know, there's nothing quite like reading your Bible in context. So we're just going to read through chapter 8 because it's going to set the stage for us, okay? And We only have about 5 or 10 more minutes here, but we're going to set the stage today uh, through this chapter. And then we're going to come up with specific points on Thursday, along with many other wonderful scriptures about uh, how we should be assured, why we should be assured of our standing in Christ Jesus so Romans 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death if you're a believer take that to heart in other words look at that wonderful statement let not your hearts be troubled For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ which, as you know, is a reference to dad or daddy. So as a side note here, who animates us or who enables us to cry out to God as father, as our dad? Who does that? It says right here, the spirit, his spirit inside of you gives you the ability to cry out and call him father or dad. So if you do that, that's a very good sign that you have a relationship with God, that God is in you. His spirit is the one that even lets you cry out, Father, Dad, lets you call God God that, call God in that way. It goes on in verse 16, The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And then just to save some time, go to verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, and this is like the drumroll part of this chapter. I mean, this is incredible. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember, love covers a multitude of transgressions. We're under his love right now, we're under his umbrella, if you're a believer. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then Paul says, for I am sure. Think of assured. Think of assurance. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank God for that, huh? Let not your hearts be troubled. Verse 39, again, no height nor depth, no anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We just saw in this passage some confidence-building questions for believers, similar to Jesus' questions in John 14. Would I have told you these things if it wasn't true? So, the instruction today is at least for this introduction which I did not get as nearly as far as I thought I would but that's fine what's the message today if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ if you've examined yourself if you've surrendered to him you know you're nothing you know you can't save yourself you're not relying on your own righteousness to get you to heaven you've surrendered to God as a sinner and you've turned to Christ as your Lord and Savior if that's you then he says to you, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm right here. And I'm not going anywhere. I've got you. It's not like I can lose a grip. I'm perfect, right? I can't lose grip on you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Let not your hearts be troubled. So we'll close with this point on the board regarding eternal assurance. Do we forget that by grace through faith we believers are co-victors with Jesus Christ he elevated us to that position right we're seated at the right hand with him in Ephesians 2 we're already glorified we just read so he elevated us to that position do we forget that by grace through faith nothing about us we believers are co-victors with Jesus Christ according to the Word of God as it says in Romans 8.37, more than conquerors through Him who what? Loved us. Love won. Love motivated all this action to take place all the way up to the cross and through the resurrection. Love motivated all that to be done for us once for all so that we can actually claim eternal life by grace through faith so that we can be assured God's telling us today, after all we've been through in this ministry too, and the, the the progression He's taken us on, He's telling us today, let not your hearts be troubled. So just dwell on that. It's between each of us and the Lord, but that's the place He wants us to be, the place He wants us to come to. And I am going to leave you with this also, because this is what we're going to get into on Thursday evening. We're going to use one of Pastor's old blogs from March 1st of last year on assurance of salvation is by grace through faith. And I highly recommend you go back and read this as part of this, this mini-series even, and for your own soul. Go back and read that. We're going to borrow some points from it, but there's a lot in there. And it's one of the best summaries that I've ever seen of eternal assurance, uh, so much so that I asked Pastor if we could put it on our quest. Christ- Christ Saves Ministries website. a link to it. It is an excellent, if you had to summarize it, there it is. Go, Go read it. Sit down at the table. Have a meal with it. Grab your Bible. Grab your tea and look up all the verses and come to your own convictions because God wants you to get to this place. Let not your hearts be troubled. So we'll get into this specifically on Thursday evening. Let's bow our heads. Father, God, we thank you so much for adopting us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for making us your own. And we thank you for even giving us words in your scriptures to assure us of such. Father, if anyone is listening to my voice right now who has never humbly turned to Christ to save them, we ask that you convict them that they need to do that. As your word says, we are all sinners. There's none righteous, not even one. We tend to think we're good enough on our own, but we're disgusting compared to your perfect goodness. We've all broken your commands. So, Father, anyone that needs it, we ask that you convict them to go to you in humility, to bow down and say, Lord Jesus, save me. I need you, I want you, and that's it. By grace through faith, let him give you the gift of eternal life. And, Father, we thank you that when we do that thing, that simple, pure thing, that you not only give us eternal life, but you give us eternal security and eternal assurance of where we're going to be with you as jesus said would i have told you these things if they weren't true father we thank you so much for the word of god and for his words we ask that you help us live in these things and live an eternal life with the love of christ abiding in us we ask that you bless us all As we go, and we ask that you help us take this message out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately, Father. We ask all these things based on the merits of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.